Welcome to the Catholic Cafe, where Catholic truth is served fresh daily. We've made you a reservation in the luxurious corner booth, so come on in and see what's on the menu today. Now, here's your host, Deacon Jeff Drzezemski. Greetings and welcome to the Catholic Cafe. I'm Deacon Jeff, sitting in the luxurious corner booth of the Catholic Cafe, and I'm sitting here with my buddy, what's your name again? Uh, Ziggy Rodriguez. Ziggy, Sam Ziggy Rodriguez. I knew his name. I was going to come up with some fake name, but I decided to just stick with my Ziggy own. is fake enough. I mean, Ziggy is fake. Actually, what am I talking about? I'm not actually named Ziggy. It's Sam Rodriguez. But, but yes. there, there are people that think you are, that, and that's what's important. Yeah, there are people who would be confused if I was like, I, I'm on Catholic Cafe, my name's Sam Rodriguez. They're like, who? who? You might, you might are you say, related to Ziggy? You might say <laughs> even that I have lordship over your... <laughs> <laughs> your name now uh all kidding aside uh welcome back everybody we're so happy to have you here as we continue our advent series a four-part series and there are four sundays of advent isn't that amazing yeah. how that worked out and we are <laughs> focusing on the kerygma yes. uh and to remind everyone kerygma just a greek word that means uh salad no it doesn't mean salad <laughs> A Greek word that means proclamation, right. and it's referring specifically about the proclamation of the gospel, the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's what we as Catholics, as Christians, are supposed to be doing, right? We, we are supposed to be moved by it yeah. and using it to move others right. uh, to come closer to Jesus Christ, and so it's good for us to study the kerygma, to talk about the kerygma, because I think there's a sense in the world right now where we've kind of lost a connection with the charisma, either of the charisma, the the charisma. Either we're we're so busy trying to get church members or get envelopes mm-hmm. in, or uh, we're avoiding church because of that. Right? Mm-hmm. There's a lot where you know what is the basic thing we're supposed to be doing as um, uh, as Christians, as Catholics, and honestly, uh, it's about evangelization. Right? A charisma is about evangelization, so we need to understand the charisma. So that we can proclaim it, and then also so that we can uh, essentially reveal it to others so that others then can uh, proclaim it. Well, and you know as Director of Evangelization for the Diocese of Memphis that evangelization has lots of different aspects and flavors, uh, including, you know, the Didache, the teaching aspect, but the charisma. You know, this, this is about setting the stage for the soul to receive that teaching because the charisma is about introducing people to that personal encounter. That's right, with a Jesus personal Christ. relationship. And just to correct yeah. uh, what you said, I'm not the director of evangelization. Oh, I'm the grand poobah <laughs> of the charisma. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, but but so we we are. This is the second week of Advent, and so we're going to talk about the second part of the charisma. And so we talked last show. Uh, in part one, the goodness of creation, right, which culminates in the creation of man in God's image. We are the crown of God's creation, right? right? That's part one. And then part two is going to be sin and its consequences. You know, sin comes in and ruins everything. Right. Right. Thank you, Adam and Eve, but this it kind of blows the whole deal, right? right. The third part will be what God did uh, through Jesus in response to that sin. Yes. Right? And then the fourth is going to be now our response to God. So yes. that's the this is the package deal. You got to have all four of these things for it to be really essentially a, a functional uh charismatic a proclamation, a call to to live in a relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, you don't want to kick kicking this you don't want to tell somebody that you're good and don't don't talk about sin. 
Right. Because then there wouldn't be need for a savior. Right. Right. So the kerygma, it requires all four of these parts. So yes. we should, let's talk about sin and its consequences. But I imagine we might want to revisit some of uh, some of the, the 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 goodness of creation. Yeah, I think some of the themes of last episode we'll need to build upon to really hit home the points of sin and of sin and its consequences. Um, you know, we spent a lot of time on the goodness of creation. Yeah. We talked about outer space and the physical universe, but it's important also to you know we spent some time talking about the goodness of God creating man uh, with an inherent goodness, right? Um, and creating us out of love and declaring us good. But I think we need to revisit that a little bit today. Really hit home about this uh, this sort of inherent or innate built into us goodness. Right. Because what we need to do is in, in discussing sin and its consequences, we really need to be grounded in what was lost by sin. What was lost by sin? Because, you know, <clears throat> in our last episode, we talked about how we as human beings were made for love. Well, God is love. We were, we were made in God's image to be like him. And so, as we said last week, it is for this reason that God gave us free will, so that we aren't pre-programmed for love, so that we are, are positioned, we're made able to uh, you know, make the choice for love. Uh, several times we've done shows or, or, or commented about that and the importance of free will, because love has to be a free choice. Right. right? If it's coerced, it's not genuine love. And God had to. We've also talked about the existence of evil. Yes. Did God create evil? No, he didn't create. He allowed for the possibility of evil specifically because we needed to make a choice for him. We need to choose him out of, uh, out of a free will choice to love. Right. Right? And so there had to be something to choose other than love. But we're not just talking about, like, the freedom. We're not just talking about choosing love in, let's say, one instance. Yeah. You know, because God... He desires to move through us, okay? God desires to, to guide us, to move through us. And, you know, hopefully everybody in this audience has had a moment where they have felt God, have felt even, you know, love move through them and inspire some sort of a noble action We've had for those the feelings that, that you can't, like, quantify and describe, but you're like going, man, that really felt good. I felt moved yeah. to help this person, right? right? And then, then the response, like, it became a conversation yes. of love that wasn't in words. And we might not be thinking in that moment that that's eternity sort of piercing through the temporal, yeah. right? But that's what exactly what God's trying to do in our lives, right? But here, I think it's it's more than just like a single action of love here and there. What we need to cast, if we're going to talk about sin and its consequences, we need to focus on what the human person is supposed to look like. you know. And for this, we have to look at an account of our original parents and look at what Pope John Paul II or Pope St. Great John Paul the Great. <laughs> Ish. Ish. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I forgot what we're supposed to call him at this point. But Pope St. John Paul II, uh, he referred to in his Theology of the Body as our original innocence. Yeah. And, and one of the things that he keyed in on with discussing the original innocence of our original parents is that they were naked and unashamed. And, and to unpack what that means, something that he talks about, this is a phrase from, from uh, Pope St. John Paul the second, he says, he refers to the peace of the interior gaze. And this is at the heart of them being naked and unashamed, that they were able to be in each, be in each other's presence, to see each other as persons, right. not as objects to be used. And then they were also, because they saw each other with such purity and love, and no part of them wanted to objectify or use or manipulate or control or hurt the other, right? Right. 
they had no fear that they were going to be used, manipulated, hurt, controlled. No, by the right? Other. They didn't, and they they were they were innocent in that way, and they just yes. experienced that. It's interesting uh, to note that, like the, the what is the first thing that Adam and Eve both did immediately after eating the apple or, or the fruit, right? That they they were forbidden. The very first thing they did was to make leaves to cover themselves. Because it changed the way they saw one right. another, and they knew that, uh-oh, if I'm seeing her this way, or if I'm seeing him right. this way, then they're seeing me that way, and oh my goodness, I don't want to be seen so this way. They were no longer naked and unashamed. Right. But first, though, like, zeroing in on this purity, like, before the fall, this that where they are naked and unashamed in the state of original innocence, right? You know, this this is the purity, this is the innocence that the human person is made for. You want, a, you want a vision of heaven? Look at the biblical account of, of the garden, right? And this is the life of love that we have been invited into. And, and this is ultimately like the universal call to holiness. God is inviting us. It's a return to the garden. There's a cast this vision of, I've given you this paradise. There's this faint, wi- this faint whisper of prohibition and a sweeping world of permission, yeah. you know, yeah. and I'm, and I'm inviting you into this epic joy. This is what I want for you. And the universal call to holiness, it, what we're supposed it, it ultimately, it's a return to the garden where, yeah, we're still receiving the things of the earth, but it's in communion with God. We're not taking the stuff of the garden and using it for our own purposes. We are living in perfect communion with him, with pure hearts filled with love that is what we were designed for. And you know what? Interestingly, a lot of people don't realize um, that we can, you know, we can essentially return to the garden or we can, we can continue to have a foretaste of the garden. Right. Right. Even today. Yes. Right. We can experience that grace today through the sacraments and other ways in which we can have a, just a little taste of, of the garden again. Well, and, and, if, and the more we grow in... in being restored to that original innocence. Yeah. You know, even if the world around us is dark and, and people around us are, are trying to control and use and abuse and manipulate others, we can stand in a state of, through God's grace, yes. in that sta- state of purity, of love, of goodwill, of innocence. But, but ultimately, the thing that's doing that in that, you know, what God is, it's actually, this is an, another thing that's important is the incarnational nature of our faith. We're right? bodies and souls. Right, exactly. We are bodies and souls, and God desires to incarnate himself. God who is love. We spent all last uh, episode talking about, you know, God who is love, and he's, he has created us for love. Like, literally what this means is God desires to enflesh himself in us, and if we look at our original parents, that is what is ha- they are these they are children of light walking them in the freedom of god and they literally are animated by the light and love of god and the very fact that he would choose to take on flesh i mean you know our, our faith tells it that god humbled himself right right taking the form of a slave he didn't have to no but he did on purpose yes and essentially in a way to me that that says that he's he's basically ratifying, justifying, elevating our flesh yes. to where it needs to be. And the, ultimately, the point that we're getting at is, folks, this is what we were made for. You know, we were made to become love. You know, each of us, no matter how far we've strayed or if we see other people in our lives or other people on TV and say, oh, gosh, this person is living so far from God. Every single person, there's a universal call to holiness. All of us are called 
to be restored to this. Now, there's a process, and we're going to get into that, into what that looks like. Right. But this is the vision of what the human person is and is supposed to be. But it's also something we need to understand that is doable yes. and actually doable in our lifetime in, in terms of like getting a glimpse of this and to be restored back to that, that, that purity and innocence, right? And again, only done through... Uh, through the grace that comes only from God. And that's cooperating with his grace and but living it's, faith. But it's yes. very different than the way some Christians might view this. Some yes. of our separated brothers and sisters, you know, our our eldest uh, separated brother, uh, Martin Luther. Right. I mean, he, he called us dung covered by snow. Right. And so you look at that and you start going like, well, he doesn't have a really good view of humanity. Right. There's, a, there's an issue there. Granted, we have fallen and we may be covered in my in my opinion, we are purity covered in dung. It's yeah. it's oh, the opposite, yeah, right? Exactly. So so we are we we are essentially the purity that we were created, and we cover ourselves in dung so much so that we we are now like hidden. Uh, we might think that we're hidden to God. Yes, exactly. Right? And and so that but that's very different than the fact that we are essentially garbage at right. our core just because we've fallen. Right. And we right. and we don't we as Catholics we don't believe in total depravity. That no. was you know and and at the end of the day you know what we're inviting our people our, our listeners into as we move into the discussion of sin and its consequences is first like I said we need to let's be in touch with what we lost. So we invite all of us to imagine imagine your will being fully aligned with God. Everything that you see and that you touch and that you taste, all that you take in through your senses, you are taking it all in in communion with God. Imagine your mind, your heart, every aspect of your being is fully alive in God, overflowing with his joy, his love, that your will is in perfect perpetual union with God's will. That no matter what happens, someone yells at you, hurts you, hurts somebody you love, does the sort of things that might push your buttons, the first movement, the prime mover within you is God, is love. Like we were created for that, and that is what was lost. That is what was lost. Now, granted, what I just described for some of us, that might be hard for us to wrap our heads around because we've never really experienced anything like that, right? And here's the thing to remember. Everything that we just described, that's the human person living under the lordship of God. Which is where we're all called to live. Right. Where we all are freely inviting God who is loved to reign over us, to live through us. Well, if we're not living under his lordship, the lordship of God, whose lordship are we living under? You got to live. You got. You got to. You got to pick a lord, right? <laughs> right. I mean, you, you can't not have a lord. And so, some of us might say, "Well, are you living under your own lordship?" Well, I understand. It's an interesting argument, and and one could say that because you know that what does the serpent say in the garden? Ye shall be as gods. You know that's a temptation, right? But no, you know it might feel like if we're living apart from God that we're living under our own lordship, but really. What we're living under is the Lord. If we're not living under the lordship of God, we're living under the lordship of sin and death. Right. Well, that's our take. I, I, this is a time when I'd love to have sitting here uh, at one of these microphones an atheist. Oh, sure. And ask them, like, well, whose lordship are you under? Of course. And they might say, I don't have a lord. Right. But I don't. I, I think that's an impossibility. I think so too. You're ruled by something. And, and I think that there, the Bible actually gives us some, some important guideship, guideposts to this. We're going to have a longer reading with Wisdom 2, which I think explains this lordship of sin and death. But I think first, just giving a biblical response uh, for 
you know, what Paul would say in terms of saying we're living under the lordship of, of sin and death, Romans uh, 6, you know, Romans 6, 6, he says, uh, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that our sinful body may be, might be done away with, that we might no longer be enslaved to sin. Uh, Romans 6, 9, we know that Christ raised from the dead dies no more. Death no longer has power over him. Like literally when ta- and talking about death and sin, those words can be capitalized if in scripture because those are dominions there's lordship of sin and death and we'll explain what that means i think the best explanation comes from wisdom too um and i, I think that if we first if we just go ahead and because we've all heard yeah, the second right? chapter of wisdom puts shines a light on this is quite beautiful so we should just we should just read through this yes and then we'll we'll come back and talk about it and to set it up i think is to say it puts us in the mind of an unjust man that's that's how is is to, to read it. it puts us in the mind of the unjust man and it, it's ultimately going to take us uh, to a very interesting place within the mind of the unjust man but first let's just let's see whether or not we can understand sort of the thought pattern that's being laid out here all right so wisdom chapter two for not thinking rightly they said among themselves brief and troubled is our lifetime there is no remedy for our dying nor is anyone known to have come back from Hades For by mere chance we were born, and hereafter we shall be as though we had not been, because the breath in our nostrils is smoke, and reason a spark from the beating of our hearts. And when this is quenched, our body will be ashes, and our spirit will be poured abroad like empty air. Even our name will be forgotten in time, and no one will recall our deeds. So our life will pass away like the traces of a cloud, and will be dispersed like a mist pursued by the sun's rays and overpowered by its heat. For our lifetime is the passing of a shadow, and our dying cannot be deferred, because it is fixed with a seal, and no one returns. Come, therefore, let us enjoy the good things that are here, and make use of creation with youthful zest. Let us have our fill of costly wine and perfumes, and let no springtime blossom pass us by. Let us crown ourselves with rosebuds before they wither. Let no meadow be free from our wantonness. Everywhere let us leave tokens of our merriment. For this is our portion, and this is our lot. Let us oppress the righteous poor. Let us neither spare the widow nor revere the aged, for hair grown white with time. But let our strength be our norm of righteousness, for weakness proves itself useless." Let us lie and wait for the righteous one because he is annoying to us. He opposes our actions, reproaches us for transgressions of the law, and charges us with violations of our training. He professes to have knowledge of God and styles himself a child of the Lord. To us, he is the censure of our thoughts. Merely to see him is a hardship for us because his life is not like that of others and different are his ways. He judges us debased. He holds aloof from our paths as from things impure. He calls blessed the destiny of the righteous and boasts that God is his father. Let us see whether his words be true. Let us find out what will happen to him in the end. For if the righteous one is the son of God, God will help him and deliver him from the hands of his foes. With violence and torture, let us put him to the test that we may have proof of his gentleness and try his patience. Let us condemn him to a shameful death, for according to his own words, God will take care of him. These were their thoughts, but they erred, for their wickedness blinded them, 
and they did not know the hidden counsels of God. Neither did they count on a recompense for holiness, nor discern the innocent soul's reward. For God formed us to be imperishable, the image of his own nature he made us. But by the envy of the devil, death entered the world, and they who are allied with him experience it. Man, there's a lot there. There's a lot there. And you look at that and you go like, man, these are the words of like current people. Right. Well, the <laughs> thing- These are very eloquent and very poetic. Yes. But they are very condemning. Oh, sure. Of the unjust mind, right? The one who thinks like, hey, eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow we, should, we may die, right? Well, and let's, let's call a spade to spade. Where does the mind of the unjust man end up? At Calvary crucifying Jesus. Yes. I mean, this is an Old Testament uh, uh, reading before the birth of Jesus, and yet it is it is showing us exactly what the, our inclinations of sin cause us to do. But where does it all begin? It begins with the lordship of death. And what that is is... Our fear of death, and, and our, not just the biological reality, but our fear that this is all that there is, that after this, after I die, I am no more. Yeah, you see dust, smoke, uh, clouds, vapors, mist. Yes. You see all these things like we we just, I, I'm thinking of uh, the, Avenger, the Avengers, you know, yes. in game. Like and, Thanos, <laughs> Thanos, yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, you turn into this black dust that just floats away. Exactly. <laughs> it, well, it, so it's a fear of ultimate meaninglessness, a fear of personal annihilation, that after this, everything is gone, I am gone. So what if you, if you have that, and I, you know, what, what the Bible is telling us here, and I would encourage, including those who might be atheists and non-believers, to meditate upon that. If we have that carnal fear there, that this is all there is, right? That fear is going to have lordship over us, and it's going to be the thing that causes us to want to go ahead and take heaven here, take what we can here, right? get what I can for me while I'm here. Yeah, and honestly, we know, I mean, in, in at the end of that chapter, yes. you know, in verse 21, these were their thoughts, but they erred. right. You know, and ultimately, all the all the things that we think, I mean, are only worth in this life to those people who have the unjust mind. Yes, that wisdom talks about. They they are the sum total of their assets. Yes, of their of their pleasures in life, of what they would consider my legacy. My uh, here's here's my highlight reel. Yes, and that's all they are. But even they themselves say that no one's going to remember your name or your deeds or anything. Right. So, so it's like, I don't know. <laughs> How is that going to make you feel good about living? Right. Well, it's not. It's going to say, I'm going to make what I can out of life. And here's the thing. At the end of the day, um, we can easily point away from ourselves and say, oh, gosh, I'm sure glad I'm not like this guy. But at the end of the day, if we think about whatever our persistent sins in our life, the things that we keep doing and we can't get away from doing, these patterns that we can't break, if we stop and we ask ourselves, is there a fear of death that underlies that? Is there a yeah. part of me that's saying, I can't, I have to get this while I can? I mean, can. that's what eat, drink, and be merry for tomorrow I may die yes. means, literally. Yes. I, I'm afraid I'm going to die. And so I'm going to do everything I can right now while I'm alive. So I'm going to take life into my own hands. And we might feel like that's us being our own Lord and we're taking control and we're doing things our own way. Except. Yes. Right. You are actually under the lordship of sin and death. Yes. Sin and, uh, you know, its consequences. Right. Because ultimately this lordship of death and that prime fear that it has within us, the devil uses. 
right? And so God created everything, including the angels, and you know, He created the angels and gave them freedom, the ability to choose. They're different than us. They're not. They don't learn from experience. They have infused knowledge. So the devil and the fallen angels, they knew exactly what they were getting in themselves into, and they chose not to serve. And Satan has no problem with walking around with a bag that's like you know an evil Santa Claus because yes. Santa and Satan, same letters, just mixed up. Right. Right. I'm just teasing, but with a oh, with a ah. with a back over you know a, 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 a bag filled with little crowns right. that he wants to put on all the humans to make them feel like oh look you're the Lord you're the Lord yeah you, yeah you are Lord here here's a crown you, you want shall a crown? be as gods oh that's a pretty crown it, and, the, and the lie being if God loved you if God really was a good father he'd let you have that thing. Right. I'm going to let you have... I think you should have that. Thing. I'm going to crown you. I'm going to make you Lord. <laughs> and Even well, though we know right. that's not what's happening. Well, he's essentially taking you. And what the effect is, you know, Father John Ricardo hits this beautifully. He says, imagine that yourself, imagine yourself in the hands of traffickers, kidnapped, bound, utterly powerless to free yourself. He said, that's the best way to describe the lordship of sin and death. That the utter futility of being our own savior, of freeing ourselves from this fear of death, of freeing of ourselves from our inclination to sin. Yeah. Now, the only thing I would, I would, I would beg to differ with Father John Ricardo, it's even worse than he says to me because it's a double whammy. Because if you're, if you're, if you've been kidnapped or bound or whatever, you yeah. know it, right? Right. And it's a miserable experience. It's horrible. I, right. I, I agree with that 100. percent And he's saying that's what it's like being under the lordship of sin and death. The problem is. That the people who are under the lordship of sin and death, it's a double whammy. They don't actually realize that. Yeah. And they have, and so they go further into it. It gets deeper and deeper, and Satan knows that. The devil knows that you get deeper and deeper, and you, and you watch the quicksand go up and up and up and up and up like in the movies, up to your chin, you know, up to your, like the bottom lip and up to the top lip, and now you're breathing through the nose, up over the nose, and then you're gone. Because well, the, the, the sin has a tendency to darken the intellect and weaken the will. So the more you sin, the more inclined you'll be to keep on sinning. That's why St. Thomas Aquinas says that the principal punishment of sin is the pleasure derived from it. Oh, man, that's, that's, that's powerful stuff. It's kind of scary. We just have a few seconds left. We should talk about, like, so is part, how is this part of the kerygma? It sounds depressing. Yeah, well, it, we have to own that we can't free ourselves. We have to own that we can't be our own Savior. We need a Savior. That's what this whole point is. We have to show them that we cannot be our own lords. Sin and death becomes our Lord. We need our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes. We need to be under the Lordship of God. So that's part two of the kerygma. There's more to come. We're going to have part three and part four that are going to come up right after this. So stay tuned for this. Thanks, Sam. Thank you, Deacon Jeff. Let's get our Blessed Mother on this case as well. <laughs> Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy, Holy Mary, Mary, Mother of God, pray, pray for, for us sinners, sinners now and at the hour of our death. death. Amen. Thanks for listening to The Catholic Cafe. If you'd like to contact Deacon Jeff, send him an email at deaconjeff at thecatholiccafe.com. Visit us on the web at thecatholiccafe.com. You can also find us on iTunes or follow us on Facebook and Twitter. The Catholic Cafe is brought to you by the Order of Malta Federal Association. Join us again at the Catholic Cafe, serving up salvation one cup of coffee at a time.